There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your being, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, the one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. I just returned from a week being on a, a houseboat in Lake Powell. Uh, and if I seem to be swaying side to side, it's not because I'm drunk, but I still have my sea legs. I still feel like I'm on the water. Today's readings are very beautiful. I could spend a lot of time speaking about each one of the readings. Um, I want to say a little bit about them and then focus more on the gospel. But in the first reading, we hear that God's law is really written in our hearts, and it doesn't take a college degree or some kind of rocket science to figure out good and evil, right and wrong. There's certain things that every human civilization recognizes as being good or bad. Um, and we see this, I think, even in children. You can observe little children playing together, and then at one point, one of the children will say, that's not fair, as if there were some set of rules that everybody knows about, and they appeal to that fairness. And maybe there was no spoken rules about the game that they're playing, but they just know that it's not fair. 
Or maybe they observe that their parent gave more food to one child than the other, and they say, that's not fair, he got more than me. Well, where is it written that a parent can't give more food to one or the other, but they just know in their heart there's something not right about this. And it's true with so many of God's laws. And if you want to read a beautiful explanation about this, I'd recommend if you haven't read C.S. Lewis' Mere Christianity, it's one of the best uh, rationales and explanations uh, for God and right and wrong uh, based on this kind of uh, rationale. Uh, so mere uh, Christianity. And I think it's important too that we have this in our discussions with the world about abortion. So many people will say, that's a religious thing. You know, stay in your church and, you know, don't try to tell me about God. And we say, no, take God out of it. It's still killing. It's still wrong. And so we need to have arguments that appeal to the simple fact that this action is, is wrong, uh, not, be, not only because we believe in God, because we believe in God makes it even worse. Because as we heard in the second reading, everything was created by God. And so for me to destroy something that was beautifully, wonderfully made in God's image and likeness makes it even worse. But it doesn't mean that we can't argue about truths of right and wrong um, and we don't always have to appeal to the church. We can appeal to that law that's written in man's hearts. This is what happened after World War II, right? And the Germans said, hey, we did everything legally by the book. Um, what are you going to ding us on? They appealed to natural law, that everyone knows that the way that you treated human beings is, was wrong. And so it was crimes against humanity. In the gospel reading, the scholar of the law comes up to Jesus to test him, so it says. And he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this question was important to me because I grew up down south among lots of Protestants, a lot of Southern Baptists in North Carolina, and a lot of them told me that salvation was through faith alone and that your church, the Catholic church, believes in good works. Well, Jesus didn't correct the person. He didn't say, no, it's nothing that you do. You don't have to do anything. You just have to have faith. Jesus didn't say that. He always talked about doing the good. You know, when I was hungry, you fed me. Or when I was in, in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. Jesus was always talking about doing the good. It's not enough for us to have good feelings but that we have to put our faith into practice. And so the church teaches that there's a unity between faith and our doing, the good works that we are called to do. And so the, the man asks Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus ends up telling the story. Um, now the man quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And then he added, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's, it's important to note that Jesus wasn't the first one to come up with that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. The Jews also had rabbis who taught that. But what was different was the definition of who your neighbor is. There were some rabbis who said that you had to love your neighbor as long as they were Jewish. <laughs> you know, if they weren't Jewish, hey, they were Gentiles and you could treat them 
like trash. There were even some rabbis who said that if a, a woman was in dire need of, of health, uh, of being healed or, or hurt, that if it was a Gentile woman, you didn't have to do anything better get rid of all these heathen. So this idea of who the neighbor is was a real question from the scholar. He really wanted to know. To us, it seems like, hey, everybody should know who your neighbor is as anybody. But to this man, it was a real question because there were lots of discussions and debates with rabbis who said, even a Jewish person might not be your neighbor if he's not following God's law. We might say, hey, if somebody calls themselves Catholic, but they're not going to church every Sunday, they're not really your neighbor because they're not following God's law, so do whatever you want to them. And so the question is a real question. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives a beautiful parable to answer that. And there's a number of characters in the story that I want to just point out. First is the man who was the victim of being stripped and beaten by the robbers. Um, you can imagine he was being stripped. He was probably like naked. Imagine coming across somebody naked on the road, bloodied and beaten up, half dead. But this person, he made a very dangerous journey. There's a, the road between Jerusalem and Jericho is about 20 miles long, and it goes through a mountain pass, and it drops in elevation over 1,000 feet within that 20 miles. It was a dangerous road. Even up until the 1930s, there was always people being held up at gunpoint um, and robbed on that road. It has a nickname. They call it the Bloody Road because so many people have been robbed. And it was common knowledge that you don't travel that road by yourself. You travel with a group of people because there's safety in numbers. And never travel the road uh, at night. You always travel during the day. Hopefully there were other people on the road and it was safer. So this person who was traveling by himself, somebody might say he deserved his own fate because he was foolish. You know, why was he out there traveling on the road? I don't know. Perhaps he had to get somewhere and he was desperate. But some people might look and say, you know, uh, he, he made his bed, let him lay in it. So we have this, this character who's now desperately in need of being saved. And the first person to come across the person is the priest. And everybody says, oh, the good guy has arrived. And, you know, the priest's going to help him. But the priest goes on the opposite side of the road and walks around him. And to us, maybe that sounds very strange, but this was uh, something that made perfect sense to a Jewish person. There were thousands of priests in the time of Jesus. If they were born to a certain family, they were de facto a priest. And they would receive a summons every once in a while to say, it's your turn to offer a sacrifice in the temple. And so if you were born of a certain family, you might get a, a summons. It's your turn to come and be a priest. And so probably this person who was the priest was traveling to Jerusalem to perform his duty, his function as a priest in the temple. Now the law said that if you touch a dead body, you would be unclean for seven days until seven days and then you were ritually purified and while unclean, you were unable to go to the temple, unable to pray. 
And so the priest is probably thinking, this guy is half dead. He might die in my arms. And then I can't do my function as a priest. And I might say to myself, well, well, that was a bad priest. But, you know, I've done that probably myself. Driving, see somebody on the side of the road who's flat tire or run out of gas. I could easily stop and help them. But I look at my watch. I have mass in 20 minutes. I got to get to the church. And so we leave the person in need to go fulfill our duty. It's probably something like that in this priest. He was afraid that if he touched this man, he would become unclean and he couldn't fulfill his obligation. Then there was the Levite who was afraid of risk. Seeing the the man bloodied on the side of the road, he chose to take the safer option and not get involved. It wasn't uncommon for robbers to use a decoy, a trap. Once he bends down to offer some sort of assistance, somebody would jump out of hiding and the ambush would be sprung and he could find himself in the same situation. And so he said, I'm not going to risk it. It's too dangerous. And so he went around the side of the road. And I find that I can be that person. Sometimes I might see somebody begging on the side of the road and I think, well, if I give them money, I might not have enough money for myself or I can't put gas in the car or this or that. We make up reasons why I I can't get involved. And we look at ourselves, we can probably find ourselves in the parable. And then finally, the person who's supposed to be the villain, the Samaritan, the one who was an enemy of the Jews, he's traveling and he comes across this person. He's the only one who stops and pours the oil, pours the wine, bandages his wounds, takes him on his own animal, uh, probably meant that he was walking from there on out. The wounded guy was put over the animal and takes him to the inn and, and continues to care for him by giving the innkeeper money with the promise that if you spend more to keep this man alive, I'll pay you back on my way through. And so in the end, Jesus says, who was the neighbor? And the scholar says, the the one who treated him with mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. And so in it, I think we see three, um, three things that are important to keep in mind. One is that we're called to help somebody even if it's their own fault. Somebody might say, that man shouldn't have been on the road at night by himself. But even if it's his own fault, sometimes we're still called to help that person. The definition of who our neighbor is, people maybe that we like. Maybe we like to help only certain people. You know, there was a time in our history when racism was much, much more prevalent, still exists today, But sometimes people might say, well, I'll help this person because they're this color, and I won't help that person because they're that color. I don't like those. No, no, every one of them is our neighbor. And the parable is telling us that we need to have love for everyone, the same that God loves everyone and that God created everyone. And so they're his. How can we hate something that God created? And then the third point is that our help has to be real and practical. It's not enough for us to say, God bless you, I hope you're, hope you're going to be all right and have good feelings for the person, but not do something. We're called to be people of action, and we're called to uh, have a practical help that's going to lead to that person being 
healed or set free. And so Jesus is not just speaking to people of his own time. He's not just speaking to the scholar of the law, but he speaks to me and he speaks to you as well. What are those things that keep us from helping our neighbor, someone who really is in need and uh, needs our help? Uh, Jesus speaks this parable to us, and he says to us, go and do likewise. Amen.